I'm reading from Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 13, which can be found on page 1052, 1052 in the Pew Bibles, or the Bibles in front of, in front of you. That's Luke 11, 1 to 13. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Carol. Please do keep your Bibles uh, open, and let's pray. Jesus, you say that even though we are evil, we know how to give good gifts to, your, uh, to our children. How much more will our Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So, Lord, that's what I ask Send your Holy Spirit, I pray. Lord, as we think about prayer, it's, it's the most important thing that any of us could ever do, and yet we all find it so difficult. 
So Lord, I pray that you'd help me to, to speak about prayer faithfully and truly and in a way that encourages us, that builds us up. And Lord, what, what else is there that we could pray apart from the words that your disciples asked at the beginning? Lord, teach us to pray. Would you teach us how to pray this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. So over the, over the last uh, few weeks, we've been saying that our, our spiritual formation in the way of Jesus, the way we become more like Jesus, isn't accidental. Uh, if we want to abide in Jesus, it will require some intentionality on our part. We're going to have to want to abide in Jesus, the vine, and we're going to have to commit to putting in place a trellis of spiritual disciplines or rhythms of grace uh, that uh, will enable us to grow in him. It's not enough just to believe something in our heads. It has to be worked into our hearts. So we tr don't truly believe something until we act as if it's true. So I can say that I believe that the Lord is my shepherd and I will not lack for anything. But what happens when that unexpected repair pill comes for my car? Do I believe that I won't lack anything then? You see, it's, it takes the Holy Spirit to work the truth into our hearts so that when those kind of unexpected moments come, and they will, we know I won't lack for anything because the Lord is my shepherd. So let's just go back to the beginning of this, uh, this passage. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. So today we're looking at the spiritual discipline of prayer, arguably the most important of all the spiritual disciplines, the foundation of all the rest of them. And I think it's striking to begin with that the the only time in, uh, in all the four Gospels when Jesus' disciples, his apprentices, ever ask him to teach them something... It's how to pray. They don't ask him, teach us to preach. They don't ask him, teach us to heal the sick. They don't ask, them, uh, ask him, teach us how to grow a church. Now, they're all good things. But the one thing they ask is, teach us to pray. Why? Well, I think the clues in the first half of verse 1, Jesus' apprentices saw the way that Jesus prayed. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. They noticed that prayer seemed to be at the heart of all that Jesus said and did. They concluded that prayer was to Jesus what food is to us. And I think they wondered, what if I could pray like that? Jesus' apprentices, his disciples, saw that prayer was at the root of Jesus' life. Jesus praying, like it says here, wasn't an isolated event. 
Jesus' disciples constantly saw Jesus prioritizing prayer. So uh, look with me at a few other passages in Luke's gospel. So this is the first one, Luke 5. So Jesus has been healing lots of people. News about him spreads, crowds gather. But Jesus went to a mountainside to pray and spent the night. Wait a minute. We're on the one before. Jesus often withdrew uh, to a lonely place and prayed. Next, in chapter 6, before Jesus chose his 12 apostles, it says, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Uh, Chapter 9, once Uh, It says, once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowd say I am? A little bit later on in uh, in chapter 9, Jesus takes Peter and James and John up onto the mountain to pray. And it says, as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Has that ever happened to you as you've been praying? The point is, that request, Lord, teach us to pray, doesn't come out of thin air. It comes from them having had a front row seat to watch the greatest prayer in the world praying. They've seen that when Jesus prays, amazing things seem to happen. And so they ask, what's the secret? How do you do it? What's it all about? And what's even more incredible, I think, is this, that Jesus doesn't say, sorry, guys, that's classified. I could only say this stuff because I'm the son of God. So I'm sorry, it's not for you. No, he actually teaches them and us how to pray like he prays. Isn't that incredible? Do you think that's incredible? I think that's incredible that you and I can pray like the Son of God. Are you not blown away by that? You should be. <laughs> he actually teaches us how to pray like him. The implication is that he wants us to experience the kind of prayer life that he experienced so that we can have his kind of life. Jesus doesn't jealously guard the secret to to the source of his power. He shares it freely with everyone who has ears to hear. So prayer was not only the root of Jesus' life, but it's what makes it possible for any of us to live like Jesus. But, But also notice this. Prayer has to be learned. Jesus' apprentices have to ask him to teach them how to do it. Now, I hope that this will be a relief to you as it is to me, because as important as I think most of us think prayer is, I think few of us find it easy. Am I right in that? I'd venture to suggest that if you say that you do find it easy... You're probably either a liar or you're praying so superficially that you don't realize how deep the water is beneath your feet. You know, we, we, bo- we feel bored in prayer and we think, 
Have I stopped yet? Have I prayed enough? We feel distracted and think, when am I going to have dinner tonight? Um, We feel guilty and we think, why does this seem like such a dead ritual? Why does it feel like I'm talking to the sky? Just me? Obviously just me. Um, If you find prayer hard, you're not alone. Nobody is an expert at prayer. Like any art form, it requires a lot of time and hard work. And even then, we'll never get to a point at which we can say, I have mastered prayer. I am the boss of prayer. Anyone that says that is definitely a liar. Thomas Merton, in his book, uh, Contemplative Prayer, writes this. He says, we do not want to be beginners, but let us be convinced of the fact that we will never be anything else but beginners all our life. Thomas Merton was a monk. He spent his life praying. What does that tell you? The disciples' request, Lord, teach us to pray, tells us something very important about how spiritual formation happens. Spiritual disciplines are important tools, but they are just tools. We've got to want what they produce. And what, Jesus, uh, what drew Jesus' disciples to, to make their request on the, uh, on the long road of learning to pray was seeing the difference that prayer made to Jesus. I so, say... The truth that I want us to see from this passage is, is this. That prayer is communing and conversing with God through which we express our desire for him and our dependence on him. So that's where we're going. And if, Jesus, uh, if this passage is Jesus' response to those words, Lord, teach us to pray, then what does Jesus want us to know about prayer? I think he wants us to know four things. He wants us to know first who we're praying to how we're to pray, what we're to pray, and why prayer matters. So that's where we're going uh, this morning. So first then, what makes prayer prayer is that it's addressed to God. We're not speaking just to the sky or a brick wall. Now, on the one hand, this probably seems so obvious that it doesn't need to be said, but on the other hand, it's so profoundly important that I have to say it anyway. Prayer is not you talking to yourself. That's not prayer. Prayer is not reading a shopping list to the sky. That's not prayer. Prayer is not worrying out loud, or silently for that matter. Prayer is talking with, not to, it's a two-way communication, or at least it should be, talking with God. When we speak with someone, either in a conversation or in an email or something like that, we address them. Hi, Laura. Or we might write, dear John, as a way of indicating that we, we want to speak to a particular person. And the same is true in prayer. We're speaking with a specific person, God. And so the first uh, task of prayer is to fix our minds on God and give him our attention. Sounds really obvious, doesn't it? But it's a, lot more, it's a lot more challenging in practice. 
the first thing uh, I do when I try and uh, still myself to pray is just pray words that, uh, that, that are through, uh, throughout the Bible. Whenever God meets with someone, God calls someone. Uh, so it might be Jacob, Jacob, or, or Moses, Moses. What does the person always say? Here I am, Lord. And so that's, they're the words that I just begin every prayer time with. Here I am, Lord. I'm here. I'm here for you. I'm here with you. So more specifically, Jesus teaches us to address God as Father. The first thing this means is that Jesus intends us to know God the way he knows God. Just ponder that for a moment. Jesus the Son of God, the eternal Word of the Father, who was with God in the beginning and who is himself God, invites us into the relationship that exists within the Holy Trinity. Wow! In the first chapter of his Gospel, John says that to all who receive him, Jesus gives the right to become children of God. And how do children of God address a father? Father, at the end of uh, the Gospel of John, the risen Jesus uh, instructs Mary Magdalene to tell his brothers, their family, that he is ascending to my father and to your father. If that doesn't blow your mind away, I don't know what will. We... You and I can enjoy God like Jesus. You don't seem impressed. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll try, try, try and do better. Uh, Jesus doesn't know God just as a father, but he knows him as a good father. Now, for some of us, I know that our, uh, the, the father figures in our lives perhaps um, make knowing God as a father really difficult. Some of us will have had great fathers. Other of us... Uh, perhaps have had fathers who, who make it really hard to know what, what would a good father look like. And I, I understand that. So if your father was distant or abusive or absent, it's really hard not to think of God the same way. And yet, even the best earthly father is just a pale imitation of your father in heaven. Jesus knows that our mental image of God matters enormously. So if we think of God like the CEO of the universe, then the chances are that our prayers will be few and our expectation of being heard low. If we think of God as the divine genie in the lamp, our prayers almost certainly will be rubbing the lamp to ask for wishes. If we think of God as a kind of vague, impersonal, ethereal life force, like from Star Wars, our prayers will almost certainly be likewise vague, impersonal, and ethereal. So Jesus doesn't just leave it at Father, but in verses 11 to 13 of the passage we just heard, he goes on to tell us what our Father in heaven is like. If earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to their kids, Jesus says, How much more will God give good things to his kids? The best of which is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Pete Gregg, uh, one of the the best prayers of our day, I think, describes prayer as climbing into the lap of our Father. That's what you're doing when you're praying. You're climbing into your Father's lap. 
when we approach God in prayer, we're not to come like Oliver Twist, desperate with hunger and reckless with misery, gingerly saying, please, sir, I want some more. Prayer isn't a way of twisting a reluctant God's arm. God already wants what's best for you. Jesus wants us to know that God loves us and that his intentions towards us are good. That's the foundation of prayer. That's who you're praying to. Which leads us on to number two, how we're to pray. If Jesus teaches us to call God Father, then it means that he, doesn't, uh, he must want us to approach God as children. So what does that mean? Well, first I think it means that we're to know him personally. Fathers, again, I know some people have had bad experiences of, uh, of fathers in their, in their lives, but fathers aren't meant to be abstract ideas. They're meant to be real people that you have a relationship with. A father is uh, someone that you don't just learn about in a book, but you grow up with. Jesus wants us to enjoy that kind of conversational intimacy with God, like father and children. Before the fall, Adam and Eve walked and talked freely and naturally with God in the garden. And Jesus wants to restore to us that kind of relationship with God, the ability to talk with him about anything at any time in any place. The name Father means total access. Yeah, there's a, there's a story, I can't remember which one it is, but about one of the American presidents. Now, you try walking into the Oval Office, you will not get in there. It doesn't matter how important you are. If you haven't got an appointment, you are not getting in there. But the child of the president walks straight in there. That's what it's like. Total access. And the second thing that I think it means to call God Father is to look to him for all our needs. Children don't think about earning money uh, to buy their food or the, to buy their clothes. They look to their parents to provide them with everything they need. And in the same way, Jesus wants us to depend on God. And God is dependable. So did Jesus ever lack for anything? Can you, can you ever remember a time he said, you've really let me down, God? No. Great prayer warriors of the Christian faith, people like uh, Hudson Taylor or George Muller, uh, whose ministries were funded entirely by prayer, never asked for money. It's incredible. Never. Uh, they, they, they funded their ministries entirely by praying. And miraculously, whether, you know, uh, I'm going off script again, forgive me. George Muller, had, uh, he, he, he ran lots of orphanages. And there was, there was a time uh, at breakfast one morning where there wasn't any food in the house. But he was praying. And guess what happened? Uh, a wagon carrying milk broke down just outside of his house. So, um, it's, it's all going to get spoiled. Don't suppose you could use any milk, could you? And a baker came by and said, I just had a feeling I needed to bring some bring some bread over to the house this morning. Didn't ask for a thing apart from to one person. 
incredible. I mean, if, yeah, sorry, that was going off script, but if you, if you have a chance to read about George Mueller, incredible. But our Father in heaven, he's the one who made the entire universe from nothing. Our Father in heaven is the one who, who fed three million Israelite mouths in the wilderness with manna for 40 years. Our Father in heaven is the one to whom the cattle on a thousand hills belong. Our Father makes Elon Musk look poor. That's who we're praying to. But there's something else about our attitude to prayer that Jesus teaches us here. We're to be bold in prayer. That's the point of the parable in verses 5 to 8. Jesus uh, doesn't encourage timid little prayers Please, God, if you're not too busy, if you don't mind, if it wouldn't be too much trouble, perhaps you might possibly consider helping maybe to fix my marriage. No. Don't pray like that. Pray big prayers. Confident prayers, audacious prayers, shamelessly audacious prayers, Jesus says. Coyness in prayer isn't a sign of respect. It's actually a sign of lack of trust. We're called to persist in prayer, not because God is unwilling, but because if we're not prepared to keep asking for it, how much do you really want it? Jesus tells his apprentices to ask, to seek, and to knock in prayer, assuring them that in each case there will be an appropriate response. But all three of these verbs are also, again, a bit of of nerdiness, but uh, in in gr- grammatical terms, they're, they're present imperatives is what they're called. And what that means is that they're, they're continuous and ongoing. So not just knock once, but knock and keep knocking. And ask and keep asking. And seek and keep seeking. But lest we should also get the wrong... Uh, actually, that ties in really well with what it means to be a, a child, kind of uh, before God and asking as a child... Um, please can I have a puppy? 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 Eventually, at some point, the, the, well, I'm glad the kids are out. Um, but, but lest we should get the wrong idea about this, it's worthwhile noting that Jesus doesn't say and doesn't mean that if we pray, we'll always get what we ask for. Because no is a perfectly valid answer. Often, the most loving thing God can do, and actually, is say no. And I am so glad that there have been times that God has said no to my prayers. Because if I look back now at the prayers that I've prayed, I would probably not be here with Angie as my wife, and, all, you know, and the kids that I have, if, I, you know, if God had answered every single one of those prayers. In fact, if God had answered every single one of my prayers, I'd be a jumble of different contradictions. I just wouldn't make sense. So God will always answer our prayers with our best intentions in mind. So third, what are we to pray for? So finally then, you're thinking, we finally get to the content of the Lord's Prayer, what Jesus actually teaches us to pray. And after encouraging us to address God as Father, he breaks down our prayers into five categories of request. First, that God would be known as great. 
Second, that God's reign would be experienced on earth as in heaven. Third, that God would meet our daily needs. Fourth, that God would forgive us our sins. And fifth, that God would preserve us from evil. So broadly speaking, uh, these petitions reflect the two main concerns of prayer. Desiring God, numbers one and two, and depending on God, three, four, and five. First then, and perhaps most surprising thing about the Lord's Prayer is that Jesus doesn't teach us to ask for any of our needs until halfway through the prayer. So rather, our number one priority is the hallowing of God's name. Who here uses that word in everyday conversation? He said, hallowed be your dress, Angie. It's lovely. Anyone say that? No. (laughs) <laughs> you, 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 you obviously do, Mark, yeah, well ahead. We don't use the word hallowed in everyday talk. So what does it mean? Well, the word hallow means to make holy or to set apart. Um, but since you and I can't actually make God's name holy, it already is, um, what this means is that it's asking for God's name, in other words, his, his reputation, his honor, uh, his character, to be held in high regard. In other words, this line from the Lord's Prayer means something like this. Let your name be loved and treasured above any other. Let it be set apart in a class of one. Let me and the whole world see how great you are. And that's how we're to start praying. And that's a challenge to me, because that's not how I usually start praying. But it's how we should start praying. Dallas Willard, I know you were waiting for it. Here you go. He writes this. He says, this request, hallowed be your name, is based upon the deepest need of the human world. Human life is not about human life. Nothing will go right in it until the greatness and goodness of its source and governor is adequately grasped. Until that is so, the human compass will always be pointing in the wrong direction, and individual lives, as well as history as a whole, will suffer from constant and fluctuating disorientation. And so what he's saying is, we're made to run on God. God is the center of the universe. And so we start our prayers by praying, be seen as the center of the universe. And this prayer is the foundation of the rest of the prayer as well. So the ultimate end of all things, Paul says in in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, is that God may be all in all. That's where things are headed. That's where the world is headed. That's what we're praying for here. It's a cry of the heart by someone who has tasted and seen that God is good and wants the whole world to taste it too. And the second uh, petition, the second request flows from it. God's kingdom is wherever what God wants done is done. So to pray your kingdom come is on the one hand to acknowledge that the world isn't as it should be. But it's also on the other hand to long for that ultimate restoration. So the prayer isn't, I'm a Christian, get me out of here. But rather, make heaven's life come down here. 
But what's more, this isn't just asking for something to happen out there to those people who aren't living God's way. For us to pray, your kingdom come, also means admitting the existence that there are other kingdoms, particularly our own kingdoms, the kingdom of me, where, I, what, where, what, where what I want done is done. And so we, as we're praying this, we're praying, Lord, may there be the downfall of the kingdom of me. It's saying, I want your love, your joy, your peace to be the way things work here on earth. And so the first half of the Lord's Prayer, therefore, is fundamentally God-centered. It's about desiring God. But the second half of the Lord's Prayer is focused on our needs, our food, our forgiveness, our preservation. In other words, it's about depending on God. Prayer isn't just, just about asking as if God were our butler who exists exist to make every wish our command. And that's a common mistake that many of us fall into in prayer. But at the same time, Jesus does teach us to ask. To ask for the things that concern us, our everyday ordinary needs. The prayer Jesus teaches us holds together the everyday and the eternal. We do ask God for help. That's part of what it means to be children. But we ask God for help only after having oriented ourselves to him and his bigger purposes for creation. So then, notice that even after asking... uh, that even our asking is God-centered. It's a looking away to God as the great provider. First, we need to ask for uh, daily bread. So we ask God for it daily. And bread here is symbolic of anything that, that's our basic needs. Ask God what you need. Ask him for it. The point is, would you, would you give me what I need for today, Lord? Second, we're sinners in need of forgiveness, so we ask God for it. Jesus says in John 13, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet, their whole body is clean. So although we're totally forgiven in Christ, we need to keep on confessing our sins for the ongoing application of that forgiveness, for the cleansing of our souls. And third, we're prone to wander, as the song goes, prone to wander, prone to leave the God we love. And so we ask God to protect us and keep us in the right path. We admit our weakness. And here's the really amazing thing about all this asking. When we depend on God for everything, it serves the ultimate end of hallowing his name. We glorify God as the giver as we rely on him as receivers. So when you and I look to God to provide everything we need... Others see God's bounty and God's reliability. The very act of asking God for what we need says that God is absolutely indispensable to us. We can't do without him. Do you see that? We're involved in the hallowing of God's name by asking him for what we need. Prayer draws people's attention to God. When, we, uh, when, when people see us... Uh, being carried by God in our everyday lives. They may just be prompted to ask, I wonder if he can carry me too. But the opposite is also true. Because prayerless Christianity says, you know what, 
You don't really need God. Which moves on to number four. Why prayer matters. So prayer glorifies God as the giver. But there are two other reasons why we ought to pray. One, because it makes a difference. And two, because prayer is about relationship. It's about how we actually enjoy God. First, your prayers make a difference. Think back to those words that Jesus taught us to pray. Your kingdom come. Why would he teach us to pray those words if our praying made absolutely no difference whether or not God's kingdom came or not. Jesus is saying that one of the main ways that change happens in the world is by asking God. You want to change the world? Pray! Uh, The French philosopher Blaise Pascal says this, God has instituted prayer so as to confer upon his creatures the dignity of being causes. In other words, prayer is one of the main ways in which we partner with God to bring his kingdom to earth as in heaven. Pete Gregg, who I've mentioned a couple of times already, the founder of the 24-7 prayer movement, says this, the hinge of history is the bended knee. The hinge of history is the bended knee. A second prayer matters because it's about relationship. The point of prayer isn't to pray. The point of prayer is to connect with God. Prayer is a means, it's not the end. We don't pray so that we can check a box in our list of religious duties. We pray so that we can enjoy God's company. I don't have a date night with Angie just so I can tick off on my list of husbandly activities, had date night with wife, check. I hope that you don't do that. I can't imagine that conversation going down very well. Why would you like to have a date night with me? Well, you know, it's something I've got to do, isn't it? So, I have a date night with Angie because I actually want to spend time with her. And intentionally setting aside that time helps me to do that. So if your prayer life is about box ticking, I'm afraid you're missing out on what it's all about. Yes, prayer is practice, like practicing the scales on the piano, but like practicing scales on the piano, the practice is meant to help you make beautiful music. It's the beautiful music that's the point of it, not just practicing for the sake of practicing. Prayer, like many things, is something we learn by doing. And when we first start out, it may seem really awkward and difficult, but over time and with practice, we stop noticing the notes that we're playing and we simply get carried away into the music. Where am I getting this? Well, there are two things. First, Jesus says that we're to call God Father. I, the context is personal relationship. And second, that Jesus says in verse 13 that the very best gift that God wants to give us is his spirit. In other words, he wants to share himself with us. Uh, Mother Julian of Norwich said, prayer unites the soul to God. That's the point of prayer, to be united with God. So just as Father and Son are one in the Spirit, so God wants us to experience that same kind of oneness with him in Christ through the Spirit. So I know I've done a lot of talking about prayer today, and I hope it's 
being helpful. Uh, but the most important thing is that we actually pray. So let me try and make this super practical for us in just a couple of quick ways, and then I'll finish. So one of the first things we said was that what motivated the disciples to pray, uh, or sorry, to ask, Lord, teach us to pray, was seeing the effect of prayer in Jesus' life. Uh, Antoine de Saint-Exupéry said, uh, if you want to build a ship, don't drum up people to collect wood and don't assign ta- uh, them tasks and work, but rather teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. So the first thing I want to encourage you to do, a bit of a challenge, is go away and read the Gospels. Perhaps start with Luke's Gospel, this one here, and just see the times that it talks about Jesus praying. Notice the effect that prayer has on Jesus. And then ask yourself, do I want what he's got? And second, uh, to quote the old Nike adverts, just do it. If you want to experience the kind of life that Jesus lived, then start praying. Uh, And C.S. Lewis in uh, Letters to Malcolm said, begin where you are. Don't wait until, you know, this is how children uh, learn to speak, isn't it? Do do children uh, open their mouths and the first thing that they say is, uh, is one of Shakespeare's sonnets. Have any of your children ever, were they the first words? Begin where you are. And if, and, and if your first, first words are dada, what amazing first words. Begin where you are. Uh, G.K. Chesterton once said, if a thing is worth doing, it's worth doing badly. And the point I think he was making is that we shouldn't wait until we could do it, should do it perfectly I mean, again, just think, you know, if, if you waited until absolutely everything in life was absolutely perfect, spot on, just as you want them, before you got married or had kids, would anyone get married? Would anyone have kids? No. We can't become prayers by praying. So let me just encourage you to start this week simply by praying the Lord's Prayer every day. You might want to set an alarm on your phone to remind you to pray it at a certain time every day. Uh, So you could pray it for for two minutes, for two hours, it's up to you. Just sit still, still yourself before God and pray it slowly, line by line, walking through it, one phrase at a time. So, let's start by doing that now. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, God, thank you for inviting us to know you as our heavenly Father who loves us and cares about us and longs to give us good gifts. Hallowed be your name. Open our eyes and open the eyes of all people to see just how great you are. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. Rule our hearts and bring the life of heaven here to Osset and to the whole earth. Give us today our daily bread. We bring before you all the needs on our heart and trust you to provide for us all that we need. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lord, we are sinners in need of your forgiveness every day.
May your undeserved grace so work in our hearts that we extend that same grace to one another. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We are weak, but you are mighty. Hold us with your powerful hand. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. It's all about you. We want to be only ever all for you, today, tomorrow, and always. Amen. Amen. So we're going to uh, respond uh, together now in uh, a, time, a time of song. And we're going to sing a, a song that reminds us who, who it is we're praying to. Good, good Father, as we prepare uh, to share around God's table together. Let's stand if you're able and let's sing.